hundreds of thousands hold their breath on Merseyside. It's Xabi Alonso for three, three is saved, and Alonso follows it in! It's wonderful! It's marvellous! It's 3-3 in the European Cup final! And this is the Red Agenda exclusive to The Athletic. What a ride Liverpool Football Club have got us on this season. And this is your weekly podcast to talk through and dissect all the big stories surrounding the Reds. Uh, each and every week, Simon Hughes, James Pearce and myself, Steve Hothersall, your dedicated Liverpool team, will be here on the Red Agenda to analyse every kick, win and hopefully, fingers crossed, a trophy. Today, we're going to talk Klopp's contract, the Champions League draw, uh, getting a world-class player for a snip in Minamino, and we'll catch up with Mark Lawrenson, who's going to join us to look at the value of the Club World Cup, a competition that he missed out on winning twice. James Pearce has got the lucky straw. He's out at the Club World Cup for The Athletic. You'll find some great articles uh, online that he's written. Uh, He's going to join us shortly. In the meantime, let's have a chat with uh, Simon Hughes. Welcome, Si. Thanks, Uh, Let's start with Jurgen Klopp um, and the contract. I think this came as a surprise. I'm definitely surprised from from Klopp's point of view, not surprised from the club's point of view, because I know how determined the club were to to keep hold of him. I mean, I, I was in Boston in the summer, speaking to people there from FSG and you know, it was quite clear that he, he had a job for life if he wanted it but Was that made even he, clearer after the Champions League final? Yeah I mean I, I remember being in the uh, the mix zone in Madrid the mix zones where all the players and staff and everybody walk through for mm. people who don't know and Mike Gordon uh, who, who's the guy who's, who runs Liverpool on behalf of FSG he was there and he sort of off guard you know just said oh, of course yeah we want to get him sorted with the contracts and then um, Obviously, that that became a story, but um, you know, I, I was sort of under the impression that uh, even this summer, I mean, if I did think if he, if if they did happen to win the league, whether he'd think it was a good time to to separate. But having spoken to people in the last week um, since obviously he signed the contract, it's become clear that he, he's recognised that there's a big difference between the job at Liverpool and maybe the previous jobs that he's done when he has spoken openly about it being, you know, seven years, he sort of feels like a manager tends to lose his voice a little bit in the dressing room. This is the conversation, isn't it? A seven year cycle and and he would move on. And that was maybe the presumption from a lot of fans. It was. um, And I think it was in his head as well a little bit, but (laughs) the poor manager's job so relentless. It's very difficult sometimes to take a step back and realise what is in front of you and, I think he has been able to do that a little bit and he, he's, he now appreciates that this job, people like to sort of think of all jobs being similar and cycles being similar. Well, the reality is at Liverpool, you know, I think uh, listening to, to people who are sort of able to guide journalists on his behalf, he realises that Liverpool are at a different point in the team cycle to maybe, certainly what yeah. Bruce Dortmunds were when, you know, year on year they were losing players to Bayern Munich or Real Madrid. That's not happening at Liverpool. So he's able to keep his best players, which means that the players are probably going to grow old at a similar time. You know, the forward line, they're all 27, getting on for 28. So in 2022, it'll be 30-odd. So he's going to, he's gradually, this is all part of the process with Curtis Jones and Harvey Elliott. There is a belief that eventually, you know, these players will be able to step up and, and, and replace these players and obviously whilst also making a few signings. So I think he realises that maybe by the end point of this team cycle, it'll be time to freshen up anyway and he'll have the opportunity to, to do as he pleases and he sees fit. It's a different 
task compared to what it was at Dortmund's where there was always a chance that other clubs would come and sign his best players whereas he's more in control of the destiny of the players and the destiny of the club in a way that he wasn't at Dortmund before so I think he feels that uh, there's an opportunity to do something that he hasn't done elsewhere um, and, and, and you know build a second team if you like and that was the one thing that became really clear to me which sort of surprised me even being totally honest when when I was in, in Boston in the summer you know that there was a real determination at Liverpool not just to win one league title because I know for a lot of supporters you know that hangs over the club so much but you know from within the club it's not just they you know said quite clearly you know we don't want to win the league title we want to win the Champions League and the league we want to do the double that was and they went so close last year you know who's to say they can't do it again this year or at some point in the future you know it's totally changing the perception of what Liverpool's about really they want to be that real dominant force in the way Man United were and I think Jurgen Klopp sees an opportunity to do something like that you know here which Maybe in the future he might fancy going back and managing Germany, but I would be surprised if he had another club job after this, unless, you know, obviously Bayern Munich and the stars align when he does leave Liverpool and they need a manager. That that might change things, but I don't think it's high on his agenda. I think he realises now what a great job he's got at Liverpool. They've obviously in the stadium, the training ground. They've got, you know, some great young players coming up. They've got a great team. Why would you want to leave now? No, I, I think you're right. I think he wants to create a legacy, which yeah. is something that he hasn't been able to do in the same way, the same opportunity to do it that he's got here. I yeah. mean, he's got something at his fingertips, which is remarkably special. And I think the longer he stayed at Liverpool, the more he's understood the previous legacy created from the 70s and the 80s and realised there's something very special right at right within touching distance for yeah. him now. That's my perception. I, of I agree. I mean, he obviously changed the way things were at Dortmund. But let's have it right, they haven't really won a great deal since he left. I think he wants to leave Liverpool in a position where the club is capable of being dominant after he leaves. He does care about that to, to a very extreme level. You know, he wants to ensure that the club is is in safe hands with the next person that comes along and he sees an opportunity to do that with the way the club is at the moment. You know, uh, I, I think he's done an amazing job at Liverpool. I mean, it, he's, he's he's exceeded my expectations. I've got to be honest. I, I thought when he came in, you know, it was going to be a really hard task to um, to take Liverpool forward, really, because there was so much that needed sorting out. And I was I was concerned about what might happen if he if he went because, you know, it's his club, really. His hand, his his fingerprints are over everything now. And I think he it still feels fresh, doesn't it? You know, at this moment in time, I know Liverpool are doing so well. But it still feels like fresh the way they've built. Because managers team. have that tendency to go stale, don't they? They do quite they, quickly. Within, they, I don't know, they might be there three, four years, and all of a sudden, is everyone listening? Yeah, it's hard to. I mean, that the fans are still listening to his every word. You know, I think last season after winning the Champions League, you know, in the past when Liverpool have had major success like that, it's been hard to maintain that momentum. But they've actually got better. You know, they've got mm. better this season. They've become more resilient. They've become. I think a bit more streetwise. I mean, they obviously didn't play that well against Watford, but I still just felt throughout that game, it was just like, they're still going to win the game. There's become that level of confidence. Now, I understand, you know, that they haven't been um, the test of losing, how the fans and the players and everybody reacts to that, you know, potentially this season, you know, particularly in the league, because he just, you know, they've only dropped points in one game. It's incredible. Um, so year on year, I think you look at it and the, 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 the team has got better. The club has become stronger every single season. And I, I genuinely think there's a great opportunity for Liverpool to, I know we talk about Liverpool being a, a massive global football club, but to be a truly, a, a truly sporting giant, not just 
in terms of you know the history and everything else. I I, I think it's all set up for Liverpool to be potentially if if if, if things mm. carry on going in this way to be you know dominant over the next four or five years, if not longer. And I think Klopp can see that now. Um, you know, you talk about the the length of his contract. And actually, this new contract will finish in the same year that Steven Gerrard's new contract finishes at Rangers. So people immediately draw parallels and, and make their own conclusions. Did you have a thought or two when you saw the, the two finishing dates? Well, it's, I think it is a coincidence. I mean, I think might be, might be giving Liverpool too much credit if we were saying that they managed to <laughs> ensure that, you know, that they've got a successor already. But I th- it's quite interesting, really, because I think Steven Gerrard's not in a rush. You know, he's not in a rush mm. to... I think he realises that management is... A, it's a long-term career. You're going to be potentially a manager longer than you were ever a player. You know, a could 25-year career. And I think he knows that, you know, there's a lot to learn. Um, he's, I think he's done a great job at Rangers so far. To go from the club that he inherited with a laughing stock, let's have it right. I remember there was a lot of things written about, you know, he's really taking a risk there with his reputation and everything else. And I thought, well, can't get that much worse, can it, for Rangers? They're finishing second or third in the league, um, which is really bad for them. And Celtic are on a bit of a decline. And I think that's worked for him to some extent. But you can see, I've watched them quite a lot this season, and they're a really organised team. You know, they're very competitive. They're a team that's now doing well in Europe again. You know, they've beaten some good sides in Europe over the last couple of seasons. So... You can tell he's obviously building something there, but I don't think he's in a rush to go and get the next job. You know, I think that that's maybe it's quite interesting, really. I wonder over the last sort of ten, fifteen years, there's been a lot of you know sort of coaches rather than managers that have have been quick to go and get the next big job. You know, they stay at a club for eighteen months and they do well, and then they're off. I think with players who've achieved a lot on the game, they realise that they don't need to rush. So much, you know, that they don't need to prove themselves so much. They realise that they want to build that that sort of. I think Jared in five, four years time, five years time has made re-established Rangers in Europe and in the Scottish Premier League, having won the league. You know, he'll see that in a similar way to Jurgen Klopp that he's he's not just won the league. Let's be fair, you know, I know it was a big jump maybe for Rangers to win, go and win the league. But if he were to do what Jürgen Klopp's done with Liverpool and just re-establish themselves about what their purpose is, he'd be in a much better position to go then to Liverpool, which you know is an altogether sort of different task and a different job. So I I wouldn't be surprised if that did happen. Uh, I mean, it, 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 it's a conversation it's, it's that will come up. Throughout it's obviously the years. it's obviously something that he'll be desperate to do to manage Liverpool. I mean, you know, but I think he'll want to be ready to do it because he's you know he's had a fair amount of experience now coaching youth players, mm. and that was what he missed. I remember speaking to him. Um, you know, I think he really enjoyed his time coaching Liverpool's academy, but he missed that pressure. You know that pressure cooking environments, you know, which he's been used to all his life, um, and I think Rangers is a is a perfect club for him to go to because that that is a massive football club where the expectation is is much greater than I think people realise. I remember going up to the his first Old Firm derby um, at Celtic, and you know when people say about oh it's a bit different the Old Firm, and you sort of down here you sort of say yeah yeah whatever it was honestly it was it was ferocious. Like the rivalry is incredible, so I think it's a good stepping stone for him when he wants to come to Liverpool. No Rangers fans won't be happy here and call it Rangers. But it's a grounding, isn't it? It's a great grounding for him, I think. Just in terms of Klopp's relationship with Liverpool and with Liverpoolians, I think it's perfectly illustrated by a piece that you've written on the Athletic, uh, talking about how Jurgen Klopp has a a chat with a 
an ill youngster who's, who's watching mm. training. I mean, maybe just fill us in a little bit more about what, what you wrote and yeah. the well, background to that story. I'm sure friends of mine won't mind me mentioning, I won't mention him by name, but the kid, he's a mate of mine that I went to school with. And um, we were at the Merseyside Derby together a few weeks ago, having a pint before the game. And uh, he just told me about this story that, you know, that he'd been to Melwood with his son who's, who's got leukaemia. You know, he's going to be having treatment until 2022. And after he said, you know, after the Crystal Palace game, when Liverpool beat them, the, the team got back at 10 o'clock at night on the Saturday and then we're back in at Melwood on the Sunday morning. And his son was invited into Melwood just to watch the team train, basically. And he was sitting there watching what was going on and just sort of waved at Jurgen Klopp and Klopp saw him and waved back. And then once sort of the training session had got going, Klopp came over and just talked to him for about 10, 15 minutes, just just on a level like he was meant to be there. You know, it was like sort of, um, you know, it wasn't sometimes when you see people talking to kids, it's, it can be a bit patronising and stuff. He was like talking to him like he was one of the team. You know, he said it was it was incredible. And I just thought, you know, I said to him, I was a bit caught, I was a bit reluctant to, to, to write about it because, you know, it's, I know it's a private moment, but my mate of mine was, 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 um, was quite willing, you know, to, to, to explain everything that was said between his son and Klopp. I think it just reflects just sort of, Klopp's human side, you know, and why why people feel so good about him. I think it goes back to what we were saying before, you know, so long as he's making people feel good about themselves, he'll be Liverpool's manager. You know, the mate of mine was just saying, you know, he exceeded all the expectations that he had of 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 a Liverpool manager. He said it was just incredible, you know, just incredible that he'd sort of let him in on these little secrets and they were having jokes together and um, I think it just reflects just sort of what a decent fella he is. And I, I know, you know, it's easy to be cynical about the way, you know, the media is and the way things are written and the way things are delivered. But this certainly wasn't a thing that Liverpool wanted out. You know, it was just my fortune to to know this mate of mine and, you know, to be able to have that conversation with him and for him to trust me to sort of write it in the way that it was. And later, that piece went out on Sunday. And uh, later on, Bizarrely, another friend of mine who's quite well-known Norwegian supporter was at Melwood that day and he was standing just behind them as this conversation was going on and took a photograph and he said it just felt like a really touching moment and I was thinking this is just incredible and nobody will ever know about it but fortunately, you know, as I said, mm-hmm. I had the conversation with my friends and we were able to write about it and I think I think it is important to, to, show, to show how, you know, the Liverpool manager is. He's authentic, you know, and it... I'm not saying he's a perfect person. He makes mistakes. I've seen the other side of him when he gets he gets pretty angry, and you know. But that's just that's what people are like, isn't it? You know, he's he's not he's the most you know authentic Liverpool manager that that I I've dealt with you know on a professional basis, and I think the story just underlines why why there's so 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 much good feeling from him and and the way players feel about him as well people he cares you can see how it translates yeah. I'd, I'd urge you to read that story if you haven't looked at it already uh, maybe you haven't subscribed to The Athletic yet if you haven't uh, please do and you'll get access to all 11 of our brand new podcasts but also brilliant articles like the one that Simon was just talking about it really is worth uh, a read and uh, by listening to this show you can subscribe now with a 40% discount go to theathletic.com and use the code LiverpoolPod so, still to come on the Red Agenda with myself, Steve Hothersall, and uh, Simon Hughes. We're going to catch up with James Pierce, who's out with the team. 
as they attempt to win the Club World Cup. We'll be talking about the Champions League draw and signings is on the agenda as well. Of course, Takumi Minamino at Liverpool have got him for around £7.25 million. Seems an absolute snip. He's going to arrive in January. Uh, we'll discuss what his actual value is. Right, let's have a little look at something that uh, Liverpool are trying to achieve for the first time. And, of course, it's something they've never done before, although they have had the opportunity. Uh, it came in 2005, but Sao Paulo beat them. Uh, it came in uh, 1984 in Tokyo, uh, but they were beaten by Independiente. And it came in 1981 in Tokyo. Flamengo were the winners. Let's have a chat with Mark Lawrenson, who vividly remembers... All that. Well, at least that very first attempt at winning this uh, this trophy. Did, did it feel like a big deal, Loro? No. No, <laughs> it didn't. Um, we nearly didn't go because there was uh, there was nothing in our contract about, you know, the World Club Championship. Not that that was an issue, but it was at first when the, when the, uh, the club told us we were going. They said, well, hold on a minute. You're obviously getting paid for us to go and some money for, for appearing in it. And where's ours? So that was resolved in three or four days. Hmm. Um, but it was just it was just a very, very strange thing. I think we'd played a midweek game, jumped on the flight to Heathrow, and in those days, you couldn't fly over Russian airspace. So basically, we had to fly west to go east, as daft as that sounds, and it was, I think, nine hours to Anchorage, an hour and a half, you get off while the plane gets, plane gets obviously refueled and, and cleaned, and another nine to Tokyo, and we just never really coped with any of it, to be honest with you. And we treated it probably and obviously wrongly now as a like an end of season trip. But the club, in in fairness to them, they didn't treat it particularly um, seriously at all. Yeah, I'm hearing stories, or I've, I've heard from some of your former teammates, that Bob Paisley, it wasn't on his radar whatsoever. He was only interested in the league championship. This was an inconvenience of the time. Yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't speak on behalf of them, but I think just just the way that it was approached, it it, it was an inconvenience. I mean, you know, uh, we were got on the plane and turned right, none of that turning left stuff. So we were zoo class down at the back, and they had, let us have a let us have a few drinks, and obviously being all really cheeky footballers, you had more than a few. And the whole thing was was very very low key, so um, your approach is never ever going to be as it should be. And Flamengo, to be fair to them, they, they'd been there 10 days uh, <laughs> yeah, acclimatising and we probably were there for 10 minutes before we played. So, um, And that's not an excuse. We were torn apart by Flamengo. They were, they were far better than us on a day and Zico was absolutely untouchable, a mm. Brazilian midfield player. But, but I suppose, you know, for you guys, you didn't like losing, did you? I can't imagine one member of that Liverpool squad who would have taken defeat lightly. No, no, we, we, we didn't. But in all honesty, Steve, we, we didn't really cope with the jet lag. There was no plans to cope with it. And I, I just remember, like over a day travelling, basically, I remember going to bed. Um, I was rooming uh, with, with Phil Neal. And we, we both woke up at like something ridiculous, like four in the morning, and, and it was just the jet lag, and it was just a, a really strange feeling. And it, it was while the while the Japanese crowd were very very polite, it just it it felt like it was almost like a training game at times because of the, the lack of news, uh, sorry, the lack of noise and, and atmosphere, and, and and that you know that's not an excuse. That's just the way that it was. And I think you're absolutely right. I think the club obviously thought in terms of winning trophies, it was probably way down on the list. And I would suggest to you, we probably only went because obviously the club were getting a right few quid for going and obviously we, we got a little part of it. 
So it escaped you in that year, and it escaped you in 84 because you got injured on the plane? Well, I mean, you know, one, one, one of the things about the, the, the boot room was they were all, all knowing, all seeing, um, and got off the plane at Tokyo again, and we went to go training, and, and I just said to Joe, Joe Fagan, I said, Joe, I said, my thing's a little bit tight. And he looked at me, and he said, uh, and he always used to say this to you, you know, he used to say, have, have you changed your car lately? And that was as in, are the pedals a little bit different? <laughs> right? This is what they were like. And I'm like, no, no, boss, no, I'm not. And he, he said, um, he said, what about on the plane? I said, well, look, like I'm, I'm six, six foot one, and, and we're zoo class down mm. the back, so, you know, we're cramped up and everything. And he said, I bet that's what it is. So I actually had a fitness test in an underground car park on the day of the game. And Fantastic. I just said to him, it's, it's sore, Joe. And he went, yeah, forget it. He said, long way to come, lad, unlucky. And that, that was it. <laughs> <laughs> I love this assumption that maybe that extra inch you're pushing to get to your clutch or something had caused yeah, no, you a no, hamstring that, problem. That, that, that was really serious. They always said to you, always, always, hamstring or a calf or something, and they'd say to you, have you changed your car? Because obviously mm. different pedals in different cars have, have different heights, don't they? Having won everything and looking back now to the 80s, but not having won this competition, although it was in a different guise, wasn't it? The Intercontinental yeah. Cup. Yeah. Does it feel like you missed out on something or not? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because I think that, you know, for, for a lot of us, um, certainly myself included, I could say that in every single competition that I played for Liverpool, uh, I won. And obviously the World Club Championship completely avoided us. And I, and I would say as well, I mean, you know, when we went back in 84 after, after 81, it still really wasn't or didn't seem a really big deal. Mm. Um, and it's probably not been that way for a while, but for the South Americans, and we didn't realise it at the time on both occasions, it's an absolutely massive deal for them because they just heard all about these European teams, etc., and just kept beating them in all these games. So, um, no, we, we never really got it, in, in, in all honesty. Do you, do you get the sense that the likes of maybe Mo Salah or some of the international players, Saudi Mane, because it has the name World yeah. Club Cup in it? They get it. But, but you know what? You know, it will be for, for the likes of Jordan Henderson and, 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 and Milner and all those players yeah. because it's it now just become a, a, a massive deal. Well, look at, look at when Manchester United were in it in Brazil. They, they didn't play in the FA Cup, did they? So, um, absolutely massive for them and there's nothing better, you know. I, I, you kind of look at it and you think, as a, as a club player, what's the best competition you can win? We would argue in this particular northern hemisphere that it would be the Champions League, which, which it is. But then if you can go one better and say, well, actually, we won the World Club Championship. But the only the only problem is is that, and we know, and we've seen one or two of the teams that have already played in the competition, they are distinctly average. But listen, you know, five, ten, fifteen years down the road, if you've won it, who remembers? And just give us a thought on Jurgen Klopp. He's, uh, he's agreed to a brand new deal. Of course, when mm. Bob, Bob was there, he, he had a significant number of years and managed to, to build this legacy of, of trophy success. It feels like you know this is important to Jurgen, and maybe it'll be his last club job and he wants to leave a real legacy at Liverpool Football Club. Is that the correct interpretation? It is correct interpretation. He's already left a legacy. And I think if you look, if you look at the uh, dismissals lately of uh, Marco Silva and Unai Emery, and you look at what Jurgen Klopp's done, and then the biggest thing, and forget about any trophies or anything like that, Jurgen Klopp, since he's been at the club, has made every single player better. Would you say Silver and Emery have? 
Absolutely mm. not. He gets the football club. He gets the supporters. He's one of the few managers as well who gets the old players. He's not frightened about them with all the medals and trinkets, etc. And, and you know, you're very much welcomed when you, when you go down to the training ground, as you probably know yourself. And mm. he, he just gets it. But seriously, I think the best the best thing from my point of view, every single player we've had, including Allison, including Van Dyke, he's made them better players. So it's. It's no surprise why we are where we are, and also the fact that he signed a new contract, which is just fabulous news for the football club. Do, do you see a domination on the horizon? Oh, um, you never know, dear. Mm. You never know. You would, we would like to think so, and you know he's very selective in the players that, that he brings into the football club. They've all got to fit in, etc. You'd like to think so, but you know, Steve, you, you never know in life what's around the corner. You never know in football what's around the corner within the next half an hour. Dear. We just never, ever know. Lauro, thank you very much for joining us uh, on the Red Agenda on The Athletic today. Um, Simon, it's interesting to get Lauro's thoughts there on whether Liverpool can dominate football. We talked about it earlier in, in the show. Of course, he was in a team that did just that. And, and to dominate, you need to dominate in Europe. You need to dominate. And at home, you need to combine the two. They have that ability. Um, and as he said, there's so many factors that could maybe uh, impede a team to getting to those heights. Yeah. But they did it under Bob Paisley and, and Joe Fagan, of course. Yeah, well, I mean, Liverpool have got to two Champions League finals in successive seasons. You know, they're in the knockout stages again the third season. The Not just the obviously challenge for the league last season, but within one point of getting to where they wanted to be in a season where they won the Champions League. I mean... One point away from doing the double is incredible. Um, and this season, you know, I, I think they've got a chance of doing, doing both again. Do you dare well, say a double? Well, they've got a chance, haven't they? I mean, it, mm. I can understand the caution around it. You don't want to be, you know, sort of saying, well, they're going to do this, they're going to do that, because obviously lots of things can happen in football. But, you know, you can't deny that the foundations are there at the moment, over the next couple of years at least, anyway, to really um, to really challenge on, on, on the the forefront of the, the major competitions. I, I think, you know, they, they've, they've proven that over the last couple of seasons already. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think the, you know, the, the draw against Atletico is, is obviously a tough one, but um, I just think, who'd want to play Liverpool at the moment? Why, why, you'd be the team that you want to avoid any of those teams that they could Is it faced. the only team you'd say that about in this Champions League draw once it gets to the knockout stages? Or, um, or are there a handful of teams that you'd say they are the team you want to avoid? Well, still Barcelona, still think, Manchester City. I, I think I think Man City and, and Barcelona still, I'd say City are probably a little bit ahead of Barcelona now. Actually, I think Liverpool and City are the two best teams in Europe. Um, City might like their draw with Real Madrid. City, yeah. I mean, I, I was thinking about this last week. Somebody mentioned it to me about Real Madrid, you know, it's not the whole Real Madrid thing, but I actually would have liked Liverpool to get Real Madrid because I think they owe them one, really, after what happened in Kiev. Um, and I don't think Real Madrid are the, the team that they were at that point. And equally, I think Liverpool are a much better team. So I would have fancied Liverpool over two legs against any opponent, really. I just think, what's the to fear? I mean, that Liverpool have beaten everything in its path in Europe in the last couple of seasons. They're Reigning champions, I understand, you know, they, they obviously sort of had to wait until the last group game in, in what was, on paper, a straightforward group. But as we learned, you know, Salzburg were a much more competitive team than I think people anticipated at the beginning of the, of the competition. But, you know, they came through that test pretty well. I mean, I, I thought they were great in Salzburg last week. You know, another, another little sign that, you know, when Liverpool are under pressure, away from home as well, 
because the, the atmosphere over there, you could tell it was, you know, it was it was a difficult place to go in and put that level of performance um, and, and win convincingly as he did create the number of chances that he did. I just think every, you know, every month now, Liverpool are sort of ticking off little boxes, you know, things that maybe they haven't done before. You know, can you go away from home and win a game that you have to, mm. well, certainly not lose. You can't afford to lose that game under pressure and they went and but, did but that. But they've done it three years on the run in yeah. terms well, of leaving it to the very last stage of the yeah. Champions League group stage. I mean, is, is that pure coincidence? Well, no, no, I don't think it is. I mean, I, th- I think that they obviously find it trickier in the group stages because of the demands of the Premier League at that stage of the season. I think that's the one thing that Klopp has, each season has got better at combining the demands of both you know this season obviously they've been forming the Premier League's been incredible I don't think it's affected the form in the Champions League I just think you know Ancelotti in fairness has delivered some good performances against Liverpool for Napoli over the last couple of seasons Mm. you know obviously there's talk about him going to Everton which would be an interesting appointment but he he certainly he certainly provided stiff competition for, for Liverpool in the Champions League I think he knows tactically what he's doing against a high-level opponent. Um, whether he's the right manager for Everton is another debate, and I'm sure the lads on the Everton podcast will be debating that. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I just think at this stage, it's all set up for Liverpool to, you know, to go to... to, to, to so how, t- how tough is Atletico as an opponent at this stage? They're, yeah. they're sort of dogs... Dogs of war, aren't they? Is that unkind to say that about yeah. them? They, you know, they're not full of goals. I yeah. think their, their goal average is pretty weak this season, but they're scrappers, aren't they? Yeah, it's, it's going to be a difficult game, don't get me wrong. I mean, we were talking about site managerial cycles before Simeone. How long has he been there now? Seven or eight years, hasn't mm. he? You know, it just proves, I think, as well. I mean, And when, his players are refreshing now, aren't they? Yeah, well, he's he's constantly... It, it's a bit like, I guess, the, the position that Klopp found himself in Dortmund, where ultimately he lost Griezmann last summer. He couldn't do anything about it. But he finds a way to keep them competitive. The th- the difference is, of course, I think in Spain, as much as obviously Atletico fans would like to be champions, I think they realise how much they're up against it. With if they finish third, it's not the end of the world. And obviously, obviously, they know that the club's in good hands with somebody who has got an emotional attachment to the club. Who has again, it's quite interesting about the way clubs make choices around managers because he, when he went to Atletico Madrid, I'd. I'd had failed in a couple of jobs, really. You know, it took him time to identify what he was as a manager. And it just proves that if you get the right person married with the right club and he knows what the club's all about and he can work with it, just what you can achieve. And let's not forget as well, I mean, he's overseen a difficult period. When you move to a new ground, especially what the Calderon was like and the, the emotional attachment to that ground, and managed to keep them at a competitive level in the similar way that I guess Pochettino did. I know the circumstances are different with Tottenham. But it will be returned to the uh, Wanderer <laughs> Metropolitano, one yeah. of the, the great occasions, scenes, venues for the, yeah. for the Liverpool players. Yeah. And I'm not sure that really influences anything, but I'm sure they'll, they'll enjoy the return there, I, won't I think they? it's more of a thing for the fans, isn't it, really? Um I mean, it just shows you, you know, you've got to enjoy these moments while... Because I, I was thinking, you know, just, I suppose, with a fan head on, if you like, you know, I was thinking, God, if they lose to Salzburg, they're not going to be able to sing Champions Europe, you know, Liverpool Champions Europe, really, for the rest of the season. <laughs> you know, it's it's quite a big thing. One of thing those quirky side thoughts, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was just thinking, you know, it's, it's a thing that yeah. if you did start singing it, it'd sound a bit hollow. And it just reminds me, you know, like, obviously going back to, to, uh, to that ground... You know what? What an amazing weekend that was. You know, I mean, I know. I think it's really. 
that performance in Madrid, it's really sort of set Liverpool up for the season, really. I think they realise now what it takes to get across the line in games. Right, so Liverpool are champions of Europe. Can they become champions of the world as well? They're out at the World Club Cup. And uh, James Pearce is there with the Athletic. Let's uh, link up with him now. He's got a tough life. James, just to come out of the press conference, have you? <laughs> Hi guys, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, uh, just, just left the press conference now. Yeah, it was. Uh, always a bit, a bit bonkers these affairs, and this one, this one didn't disappoint. Yeah, uh, James Milner joining uh, Jurgen Klopp, and some, uh, some weird and wonderful questions from, uh, from media from across the world. We've just discussed a little bit. Uh, Simon Hughes, obviously here as well. We just discussed a little bit about um, Jurgen Klopp's new contract, and of course J- James Milner. We never really mentioned it, did we, Simon? No. Uh, a man who's also sort of penned an extension. Is this something he's he spoken about? Was he asked about it in the press conference? He was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Milner just spelt out really why why he'd uh, he decided to stick around. I think you know he said it's just such a, an unbelievably exciting time to be a Liverpool player, and you know he said that he, he feels as if he's still got a big part to play in in ensuring that this you know, goes from being a, a successful year for the club to being a, a you know a proper dynasty of success. So um, yeah, I thought you know that was. The, the good news came thick and fast last week, didn't it? With uh, you know, progress in the Champions League, the you know, the, the, uh, the Minamino news and Klopp's contract, and then and then Milner's new deal was the icing on the cake, really. Because I think you know, he's such an important player. I think you know even I think he does go under the radar a bit in terms of his importance both on and off the pitch, especially in still a relatively young squad. You know, the, you know he he's just an absolute model pro, isn't he? And you know, he's. Uh, Looked after himself so well, you know. Every every preseason, you hear the stories about him winning the lactate test because you know he's uh, he keeps himself in such ridiculous shape. And you know, I think probably the biggest consideration for him was would he still have much of a part to play going forward, um, and would Liverpool give him two years rather than one? And you know, thankfully they've come to this this agreement, which I think is you know brilliant news for all parties. He still sets the standards, Simon, doesn't he? How many years can he do that for? <laughs> He's incredible. I mean, I've, you know, he's a bit of a throwback, really, isn't he? You don't tend to see players um, who are in the 30s. And, you know, I wouldn't say he seems to me to be growing stronger year on year, not getting weaker. You know, his endurance is incredible. I think Jurgen Klopp uses him cleverly. I wondered whether, you know, with Leeds doing so well, and he might have thought, well, you know, I can go and give a couple of seasons back to Leeds if they get promoted. Um, but I think it says probably quite a lot about his physical condition that he probably thinks, well, I can do another two years at Liverpool and then probably maybe even then go back to Leeds. I think he would, listening to people around him, that would be something he'd like to do if if, if it would work out both, you know, well for both parties and he wasn't just sort of playing, you know, it wasn't just a trip down memory lane for him. He'd want to play an active role. But I think, I think um, you know, at Liverpool he's been, as James said, an incredible professional who... He'd be losing a lot, not just not just what he does on the pitch, but off the pitch as well. Um, yeah, you know, he seems to have captaincy stamped over him, pretty much like Jordan does or Van Dijk. Yeah. Lots of these sort of yeah, high-end he, figures. He doesn't necessarily want to have the armband, but he, he acts like a captain on the pitch and irons out any any problems. You know, you can see he's very vocal um, and very very aggressive, both with his own team and, and the opposition. And you know, I think that sort of experience in football now is is very rare. You know, he he, he started playing in a very different era. Um, you know, been playing for for as long as Wayne Rooney, hasn't he? And you, you look where Wayne Rooney is playing now, 
you know, James Milner's outlasted him. People say with Rooney, you know, he, he sort of the position that he plays and everything else that, that he, he burnt out. Whereas Milner, you know, I could I could honestly see him playing to a high level if he wants to, well into his late thirties. That that's the first thing that goes, isn't it? The legs. But there's no, there's no sign of that, is there, James? No, not not at all. I think you know, it's it's testament to the way he's lived his life, isn't he? I think he, he's he's just a, an incredible professional. I mean, there was all the you know the he's got a very dry sense of humour. You know, and you know last season there was all the stuff on there about treating himself to a Ribena after after big games. And I remember in uh, in in, uh, in Madrid after the Champions League final, I said to him, you know, is it, you're going to treat yourself to something maybe a little bit stronger after this? And he and he kind of smiled and said, uh, yeah, I think it'll be uh, be lime and lemonade for me tonight. And you know, he's just. You know, in terms of leading his life, you couldn't, you couldn't, you know, if you're Klopp and you're, you're the coaching staff, you couldn't wish for a better role model for the young players. I remember doing an interview with Trent Alexander-Arnold earlier on in the season, and he he said he was actually quite scared of James Milner initially. He said, you know, he, he said, he said, you know, not he said he's a, he's a really nice fella, but he just said he just sets ridiculously high standards. He said in training every day, and he said if you anyone who's not absolutely bang on it, he's on your case and. Um, you know, that, that makes him an absolute manager's dream, doesn't he, in terms of the influence he has on, on the players around him. I remember um, similar, like a, a few seasons ago, Liverpool had a um, what what they call a bounce game against Akron's and Stanley, you know, and I know their manager pretty well, John Coleman, and he was saying that in that game it was for the players that had be, been injured or suspended or hadn't played the week before, and he said Milner's attitude in that game was incredible. You know, this is a game at Melbourne behind closed doors, the one or two sort of fancier players, if you like, whose attitude was good, but he said Milner was treating it like it was the most important thing he's ever done, and Liverpool won that game convincingly. And I just, I think that just says an awful lot about who he is and and what James has touched on there about his, his sort of um, his approach in in training and everything. You know, his, his full throttle, isn't it? Right, he'll go down as one of the, the bargain signings or arrivals at Liverpool. Uh, the likes of Gary McAllister would, would probably join him. But have we got another bargain signing in Takumi Minamino? £7.25 million. He will become a Liverpool player in January. What is his actual value? He's clearly an exceptional player. James, we'll start with you. This this feels like a real steal, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think... Um... It's just one of those deals that you look, you look at it and you just think, you know, what an absolute no-brainer for Liverpool. It's it's just a deal without any risk, isn't it? I think, um, you know, they put a, a huge amount of groundwork in. My information is that, you know, it's testament to the relationship there is between um, Liverpool and Salzburg and, you know, Michael Edwards, uh, you know, a, a, again, one for, one for his collection of, of very shrewd deals. You know, he got wind of this release clause. I think, you know, you have to feel for Salzburg a little bit because I think they've been caught a cool, probably a bit by surprise in terms of the speed of their growth, um, the fact that they've you know, suddenly lit up the Champions League this season, having been nowhere near it for what, 10, 12 years before that. And you know, where probably earlier on in the year, Minamino probably was a £7 million player, I think, having performed like he has done in the Champions League group stage against you know, decent opposition. You know, Liverpool think we're talking about a £20, £25 million asset. Um, and I think, I think also, I think anyone who's watched the two games between the, the teams in the Champions League group stage will tell you he just he, he just screams a Jurgen Klopp player. You know, he's you know he's he's quick, he's skillful, he's got the work ethic. You know, Salzburg have, have you know have, have eulogised in terms of you know his attitude and his dedication. Um, also, the fact that Salzburg play a similar brand of, of, of football as well. You know, he's he's very well versed in what will be asked of him by Klopp. Um, 
so yeah, and then you know, but then you also then factor in the fact that he'd be Liverpool's first Asian player, um, and the the knock-on commercial benefits of that in a region where Liverpool already have huge support. I mean, I was speaking to a, a Japanese journalist just before the press conference started here, and you know, he said that now he's already been told, you know, forget going to kind of Southampton and Leicester or wherever else after Christmas. We need you at Anfield every week because you know there's now going to be a you know, a, a hefty Japanese media call that follow Liverpool everywhere because he, he's going to be massive news back in Japan. You're going to lose your place in the press box there, Simon. <laughs> no, yeah. um, without a shadow of a doubt, though, commercially, it's a massive sign in that, isn't it? Yeah, well, uh, it's quite clear, obviously, the last few summers, uh, Jürgen Klopp wants the team to go to the US, um, primarily for, for sporting reasons, you know, because of the facilities and how easy it is to travel around. And Liverpool's sort of growth as a club has, has sort of coincided with um, football's profile in the US growing at the same time, you know, with the amount of coverage that they've got in the US uh, with, the, with, you know, live games. You can watch any live game and Liverpool being the team to watch, haven't they? So it's, it's sort of worked. It's been a bit of a happy accident in some ways, um, Liverpool's sort of growth and popularity in the US. I've been to the Far East a few times and you do feel that Liverpool are a bit behind other clubs in the Far East. You know, I remember landing, you know, in Bangkok a few years ago and, you know, you see big billboards of Manchester United players, Chelsea, at the time Arsenal. So it is it is an area where I think Liverpool can improve and particularly in Japan, of all the, the, the sort of the, the, uh, the nations in the Far East, there's the greatest appetite for football there. You know, you, you look at the attendances, uh, of football matches all the clubs you know tend to get good attendances and they all have one more club in you know in that they support in in Britain or in around Europe so it's it's definitely an area where Liverpool need to sort of um, target a little bit I mean it's quite interesting having this conversation because Liverpool weren't doing so well I think we'd be looking at it slightly differently wouldn't we you know we'd be saying <laughs> what, what are they doing but, but first and foremost this is a, this is a sign and that makes sense because of his football and ability, and um, you know when when, it, when he played at Anfield, I thought he was he was probably the most influential player on the pitch that night. You know he, he really helped Salzburg back into the game and and didn't look afraid around some great Liverpool midfielders. I remember there was a situation where he he managed to wriggle himself out a, a sort of a hole where Fabinho was really trying to get him and he couldn't he couldn't get get near him. And I think it, it, it's a sort of player that maybe you know, Liverpool have lacked a little bit since Coutinho left. You know that bit of trickery on the edge of the box. Um, and coupled with, as James says, his, re- his wear crate is, is the sort of thing that Jürgen Klopp looks for. So, Again, yeah. come out of the blue, hasn't it? And Liverpool have got a little bit of a habit of this, haven't they? Keeping these under wraps. And at the last minute, we, we get to know a, a pretty major signing within the squad. Will he become a major player within the squad, James? Yeah, I think, um, I think there's probably a few reasons behind it. I think obviously the fact that it's financially it's so appealing is is one big reason. I think also with one eye on next season, you know, the fact that Adam Lallana will, you know, more than likely move on when his contract expires at the end of the season. And I think also, you know, if you were looking from the outside at where, what areas of the squad Liverpool could potentially uh, be found wanting in in the second half of the season if a few injuries really bit. And I think you probably would say, you know, have they got enough high quality cover for the front three? Um, you know, of course, Shakiri has showed up a couple of times recently and you know and same with Origi but you know I think I think it's just it's just a very very good piece of business isn't it I think um I think his versatility is probably another thing to mention the fact that you know he's played anywhere across the front three against Liverpool he was almost like the kind of the tip of of uh, Jesse Marsh's midfield diamond so you know and we, and we know from 
adapted the way that Klopp has operated, that he, he loves that versatility in players, some people that can play two, three, four different positions, and he can do that. So, uh, so yeah, I think he didn't feature for Salzburg last weekend. I think Salzburg said that, um, you know, he had a, I think they, they described it as a, as, a, as a minor thigh injury, which, um, you know, I think he probably wouldn't have wanted to have been involved uh, to, to risk anything jeopardising this move. So, uh, yeah, no massive rush, obviously, with the formalities in terms of the medical. With It can't go through to the, the start of January. But, um, yeah, fully expect him to be a Liverpool player for the, the second half of the season. We can't go without talking about the, the games that are on the horizon. One day we'll see James Pearce in the studio. <laughs> I don't know when that will be. He's got a date with the pool this afternoon, I believe. <laughs> Tell us about the Club World Cup. Does Jurgen Klopp speak as if it matters? Do the players give that off? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he, he delivered quite an impassioned defence of, of of why he's brought the entire squad out here. Some of the local journalists were, were, were kind of asking him about, um, do you not think that the fans would, would rather you were in you know, Birmingham preparing to, to face Aston Villa in the Carabao Cup? And... Um, you know, in, 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 the, in the end, he said, well, is that your opinion? And in the end, the fella kind of conceded and said, no, 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 it was the opinion of Ian Ladyman in the Daily Mail. And, uh, <laughs> and like, decided he was going to name and, name and shame him, um, which, uh, which got a lot of laughs. But, um, but nice. no, I think, you know, Klopp points. I think one thing you always get with Klopp is a lot of honesty, isn't it? And he said, he said look, if, he said, if you're telling if you're asking me, you know, a, a few months back, do, do I think that having a Club World Cup in the middle of, December, when we've got everything else going on, is a good idea. Then I'd be lying if I said to you, yes, I think it's a fantastic idea. He said, but once we'd been invited, once we'd accepted the invitation, he said, and certainly once we travelled 3,000 miles to get here, he said, this is this is the most important competition for us because you know we're here and we want to we want to win it. We're not just here to to shake hands and uh, and show up. So, and I think I think I think there is a change in perceptions towards the competition. I mean. I'd, I did a piece on the Athletic that got published today, looking back at Liverpool's three previous campaigns in, you know, this competition's been called various things over the years, back to when it was the Intercontinental Cup. But certainly speaking to the players in 81 and 84, it, you know, they treated it like it's somewhere between a pre-season friendly and a, and a stag do, I think, from uh, you know, the way that they went about it in, in stark contrast to what it meant to the South Americans. And then, you know, 2005, you know, Stephen Warnock was saying, you know, we, they went there wanting to win it, but didn't have didn't have brilliant preparation because of the jet lag and then being straight into it and then being felt what they felt was being treated being cheated by refereeing decisions that day against Sao Paulo. So I think this time around, you know, certainly preparations have been better. Um, and the fact, you know, the fact he's brought an entire senior squad when he hasn't left anyone behind for that Carabao Cup game. Um, the fact that Liverpool have never won it as well, I think. And I think I think across Europe in recent years it has become slightly more prestigious. So I think yeah, that all that all adds up to him. He wants to ensure that Liverpool walk away with that trophy when they when they fly home late on Saturday night. A, a robust defence of why James is is in twenty four <laughs> degree heat in Doha. There, he's saying that <laughs> while drinking a pina colada <laughs> as well, isn't he? James, thank you very much. Uh, I think next time we catch up, I know there's a great page on the Athletic where uh, you guys have sort of general discussions with the, with the Liverpool fans. I think we might use that as a bit of a mailbag. So if, if people want to put the questions on there, we'll sift out some of the best for future weeks when we come back on the Red Agenda. Uh, James, enjoy your time out there. Hopefully you bring some silverware back. Cheers, guys. All the best.
tell you what, you off in Egypt, him off in... It's a good job someone's here to hold the fort, Just isn't it? Just giving it away again there, Steve. <laughs> that was meant to be a secret trip, that one. Uh, a final thought um, on managerial issues around the Premier League. And uh, you mentioned Carlo Ancelotti before, of course, Rafa Benitez has been linked uh, with the Everton job, or he was, he was perhaps a bit more strongly maybe a couple of weeks ago. Maybe that's drifted ever so slightly. Mm. Um, there's some good stuff on The Athletic. They've actually spoken to him on the Newcastle podcast, uh, Rafa Benitez, so he's, he's done a little bit about um, Newcastle United. Not so much on the Everton link, but he did mention it. Well, what's your thoughts? Could he possibly ever go to Everton, Rafa Benitez? <sighs> well, I think he he's definitely clearly open to the possibility. Um Obviously, I watched the, the the interview that he he did with Sky. It was quite clear that the the, the 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 sort of the money that he's on in China at the moment is prohibitive in terms of even the clubs in the Premier League could they afford to get him out of that contract? You know, to come back to Liverpool, Merseyside. You know, he, he's never spoke so glowingly about Everton, but from you know from what I've been told, I think. I don't think there's a great deal of appetite at boardroom level, particularly mm. relating to Bill Kenwright, who he's got a long memory about some of the things that Rafa said all those years ago. And I think he's very aware that, you know, if, if things did start to turn, it's the first thing that's going to be counting against him, isn't it? So it's, it's, it's a shame because I think he, you know, he's clearly, clearly would be an outstanding candidate for that job because of what he can deliver, you know, and he'd be, he'd be a good manager. But, you know, as it looks, you know, the, 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 they've been very ambitious, haven't they, in, in trying to get Carlo Ancelotti by making him one of the highest paid managers in the world. Um, I think that sort of reflects um, why Ancelotti's interested in the job. You know, he's had reassurances that Everton are going to be able to spend some money over the next couple of years, which surprises me because obviously with the ground coming and still not a great deal of clarity on how they're going to fund that Um you know, it's going to be interesting to see how that pans out. But, yeah, I mean, it's just it just shows you, doesn't it, over the last last couple of weeks, there's been so many sackings. You, you just, again, remember why, you know, Liverpool are in such a good position because they've got a manager who, who's going to be sticking around for quite a long time, who's, who's laid a lot of foundations that these clubs, like Manchester United, um, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a lot wrong there. I still think, you know, Everton, you know, Arsenal in absolute, you know, dire straits at the moment. So... Liverpool are quite a way ahead of of these clubs, uh, not just on the pitch but off the pitch. So, yeah, it's just a, another reminder of of you know it's taken Liverpool four years really to get to this point. You know, it's a long time. Are people patient enough to to wait? You know, Everton haven't won a trophy in such a long period of time, and it's something that that needs to change. They might have a, quite a long wait even now, even if Ancelotti comes. So are the, are the fans going to be patient enough? It, it, there's, there's been a lot of patience involved with Jurgen Klopp as well because Liverpool have had disappointments along the way. You know, But you can see year on year that the team's developed. That's the key, isn't it? To see I continual, think fan, development. Con, continual development. I think fans will accept that. Right, if you want to hear that full uh, Rafa interview, that's on the Newcastle pod on The Athletic. Um, his thoughts pretty clear on the Everton situation, though, or at least it gives you an indication as to whether he feels uh, it's a job he might like to take in the future. Uh, Simon Hughes, thank you very much indeed. That agenda will return uh, shortly. As I say, if you want to send Simon a message, perhaps on those open conversations, you have the general discussions, don't you? Maybe once a week with some of the the people who read The Athletic. Have a look online and uh, check out the possibility of sending Simon James and myself a question. We'll bring it up on the podcast in the future. That was the Red Agenda. It will return very shortly. (laughs) 